Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old school basketball to a new school audience. And today, we bring you a story about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Wilt Chamberlain and their unusual relationship. They could be described as friends, and they could also be described as enemies. Thus, the episode title, Frenemies. There is no need to go into their credentials as players. Both players were first ballot Hall of Famers, and there was never a doubt that both players would end up in Springfield. They both played the center position, and both were over seven feet tall. And depending on who you talk to, both players are in the top five all-time greatest players. Wilt is 10 years older than Kareem, but their careers did overlap by four years. In those four years, they battled many times. At the time that Wilt entered the NBA in 1959, he was the tallest player in league history at 7 foot 1 or 216 centimeters. He very rarely had to play against anybody taller than him. But when Kareem entered the league in 1969, he was even taller at 7 foot 2 or 218 centimeters. When they played, it was a true battle of giants. By the end of the 1980s, the two men were not even speaking to each other. But it was not always that way. Both players grew up on the East Coast. Kareem grew up in Brooklyn, New York, while Wilt grew up in Philadelphia. When Wilt began his NBA career with the Philadelphia Warriors in 1959, Kareem was still known by the name his parents gave him, Louis Alcindor, or Lou for short. During Wilt's rookie year in the NBA, young Lou was still only 12 years old and just getting started as a serious basketball player. But if you asked young Lou back then who his favorite player was, he would have said Wilt Chamberlain. Chamberlain came into the league and averaged 38 points and 27 rebounds per game as a rookie to lead the league in both categories. He not only won the Rookie of the Year award, but he was also the league MVP in his first season. He was the first giant of the NBA to have some serious athleticism. Now, don't get me wrong, I am not trying to say that earlier centers were not athletic. Of course they were, or else they would not have been in the NBA. Guys like George Mikan, Bill Russell, Clyde Lavellet were all great athletes. But Wilt was at a whole different level. He was literally bigger, faster, and stronger than any other center before him. And it was not even close. No wonder young Lou Cinder looked up to him. Eventually, young Lou grew up himself and played his high school basketball at Power Memorial in New York, where he dominated New York high school basketball. He reached his full height of 7'2 as a senior with speed and athleticism that nobody could match at the high school level. Every single university in the nation wanted Lou Alcindor to play for them. Of course, we all know that he chose to move all the way across the country to play for John Wooden at UCLA. But way before UCLA, when Lou was still in middle school, he had heard about this player at the University of Kansas who was putting up statistics in bunches. And that was when Lou was still only about 8 years old, but he was already fascinated with Will Chamberlain. 
As he got older, he was able to go to a few games at Madison Square Garden and marveled at what Wilt did with the Philadelphia Warriors. It seemed that Wilt made every dunk and grabbed every rebound. He was clearly the best player on the court. But as was typical, the Warriors usually lost to the Celtics. Now hold on a moment. You might be wondering why the Warriors and the Celtics would have been playing each other in New York's Madison Square Garden. Well, back then it was fairly common for the NBA to stage doubleheaders at Madison Square Garden. A typical night would have the Knicks playing the Royals, followed by the Celtics and the Warriors. It was all a way of garnering attention and selling more tickets. Those double headers in the Madison Square Garden were a big success in the early life of the NBA, and that is where Lou got to see Wilt play regularly and was enamored. But the first time that Lou actually met Wilt was at a Rucker tournament a few years later. The Rucker Tournament is a New York summer tournament traditionally held at Rucker Park in New York. Even though Wilt was from Philadelphia, he played in this tournament regularly since high school. Dr. J also played in the tournament in the 1970s, even after joining the NBA. So did Connie Hawkins, Earl Monroe, and many other NBA All-Stars. Now Lou was 15 years old at the time, and a friend grabbed Lou and walked him over to Wilt to be introduced. Wilt was preparing to play in a Rucker game when Lou walked up. Once the introduction was made, Wilt mentioned that he had already heard of Lou Altsinder. He was the young kid who was tearing up the high school scene and who people were already saying was the next great one. Lou could not believe that Wilt had already heard of him. Wilt complimented him and told him to keep working hard. It was one of those times where greatness recognizes greatness. Also, by the time that Lou was 15 years old, he was already 6 foot 10. So when you are literally head and shoulders above the crowd, it is easy to spot someone else who is just as tall. But during those high school days, Lou Alcindor was already beginning to frequent jazz clubs around the city. He inherited his love of jazz music from his father, Big Al, who was a graduate of the Juilliard School of Music and a very accomplished trombone player. While Big Al did not make his living as a full-time musician, music was still a big part of young Lou's upbringing. One of the clubs that he liked to go to was Small's Paradise. Now remember, jazz clubs were also bars, and underage kids were not supposed to be in there. But seeing as Lou was nearly 7 feet tall, he was allowed in. Nobody ever bothered him. At one point, Will Chamberlain purchased Small's Paradise and rebranded it as Big Wilt's Small's Paradise. Maybe that's where Biggie Smalls got his name from, but that is a whole different discussion. In any case, what this meant was that Lou got to spend time with Wilt regularly at the club since Wilt had moved to New York and lived there during the NBA offseason, or when he was in town to play the Knicks. It was at this point that Wilt took on the role of mentor for Lou. Once, when Lou was still in high school, Wilt invited him over to his New York apartment to play cards with Tom Hoover from the Knicks, Carlos Green from the Globetrotters, and a business partner of Wilt's. Lou could not have felt any cooler. Here he was, now 17 years old, hanging out in Will Chamberlain's apartment, listening to him tell stories about Bill Russell, Elgin Baylor, and Oscar Robertson. Lou had never before met anyone who had throwaway money. You know, the kind of person who can make large purchases with hardly a thought, or a person who had no problem overpaying for something because money was not a big deal? That was when young Lou started thinking about Wilt's lifestyle and how it could easily become his own lifestyle in just a few short years. Lou would sometimes borrow jazz records from Wilt's personal collection and just return them at some later date. Basically, it was Lou using Wilt's apartment like a public library for jazz records. It always gave him an excuse to stop by. One time, Wilt gave two of his silk suits to Lou to have. Lou was so excited. Suits were not cheap, especially silk ones. And here was a 7-foot high school kid receiving two suits that were already made for a 7-footer. 
Unfortunately, Wilt was much larger in the chest and shoulders than a 17-year-old Lou Alcindor. Wilt also had much longer legs. Even though both men were about the same height, Wilt's waist is much higher on his body than Lou's was, so the suits did not even come close to fitting right. The whole relationship really became a big brother, little brother type relationship, and Lou loved it. It also seemed that Wilt got something out of playing the mentor and big brother. The two would continue their friendship even after Lou moved out to California to play for UCLA because right in the middle of Lou's college career, Wilt got traded to the LA Lakers. They were both living in the same city again, but eventually the relationship began to change. Just a few years later, Lou Alcindor had become Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and was tearing up the NBA much the same way that Wilt did in his younger days. As I said earlier in the episode, their NBA careers overlapped by four years. By his second year in the NBA, Kareem was averaging 32 points per game, while Wilt was averaging only 21 points per game. Those numbers were pedestrian when you put them into the context of Wilt's entire career. The big brother-little brother relationship was gone. Kareem was outplaying the older Wilt regularly, and that is what began to sour their relationship. Further, Kareem had converted to Islam, thus the name change. Now this put another roadblock in their relationship. Wilt was never very religious to begin with. He loved to party and have a good time. Kareem was very quiet, studious, a voracious reader, and a devoted Muslim. Hanging out at a jazz bar was not happening anymore. Muslims are not supposed to drink alcohol or be around people who are drinking alcohol. So Kareem listened to his jazz music at home on his record player. Now, at the time that Wilt retired from the NBA in 1973, he was the all-time leader in career scoring and he held that record very proudly. It was on April 5, 1984, in a game against the Utah Jazz, that Kareem broke Wilt's record with a skyhook over Mark Eaton, with an assist from Magic Johnson. After 15 years of standing at the top of the scoring mountain, Wilt had been pushed aside and now Kareem stood at the top of the mountain. And that hurt Wilt Chamberlain. Obviously, Kareem had done nothing wrong, but it bothered Wilt to see that particular record get broken. The two men were no longer speaking, and when asked about Kareem, Wilt usually had very little to say, or he would downplay Kareem's efforts. He would say things like, Kareem broke the record against a watered-down league. When Wilt set the record, he did it when there were only eight or nine teams in the league, meaning that every night he had to battle one of the top eight centers in the world. But when Kareem broke the record, there were 23 teams in the league, which meant that on many nights, Kareem was playing against a mediocre opponent. It was really just sour grapes on the part of Wilt, but those sour grapes kept him on TV doing interviews about the state of the NBA. Even at the age of 50, Wilt would say that he could come back to the NBA and still average 25 points per night. Well, he probably couldn't, but he said he could. Eventually, Kareem responded in an open letter to Wilt Chamberlain. That letter is part of a memoir that Kareem wrote during his final season in the NBA. The book is simply called Kareem. In that letter, Kareem points out that Wilt's behavior made no sense. Wilt was one of the greatest players in basketball history and has no reason to behave the way that he had. But that was when Kareem started to pull out the daggers. He pointed out that Wilt failed to win an NCAA championship at the University of Kansas, while Kareem won it three times at UCLA. He further points out that Wilt put up incredible numbers against the Celtics and Bill Russell, but the Celtics almost always won. The Celtics had won the championship nine times during Wilt's first 10 years in the NBA. He also pointed out that Wilt lost to a hobbled Willis Reed in Game 7 of the 1970 NBA Finals. And if you want to hear more about that, just listen to last week's episode. 
In this letter, Kareem was not holding back. He recounted the time that he scored 50 points on Wilt when Kareem was still playing for the Milwaukee Bucks, and he pointed out another game where Kareem held Wilt scoreless. Now I'll just go ahead and read one paragraph from that open letter. Now these are Kareem's words directed at Wilt Chamberlain. Actually, the open letter is addressed to Wilt Chumperlane. Quote, given your jealousy, I can understand that. It's too bad that you didn't stay for the end of the game in 88 though. You would have been able to see me win the game at the free throw line with a few seconds left. On the other hand, that probably would have reminded you of your own ineptness at the free throw line. Unquote. My word, Kareem let him have it. Later in 1996, when Shaquille O'Neal signed with the Lakers as a free agent, the people at Sports Illustrated had an idea of having Shaq pose with his new Lakers uniform with three of the greatest Lakers centers of all time standing behind him, also posing in their uniforms from their respective eras. The photo was supposed to be Shaq in the front with George Mikan, Wilt Chamberlain, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar standing behind him with a look of approval. It would have been an amazing photo, but Wilt did not want to do it. He claimed that he had a schedule conflict. Seriously? The guy had been retired for over 20 years at that point. He just did not want to be around Kareem. So only Mikan and Kareem showed up to support Shaq and it was still a great photo shoot. It is too bad that they never reconciled before Wilt passed in 1999 at the relatively young age of 63. It would have been nice to see them get along. But we all have issues. None of us are perfect. I know that I have my issues with jealousy and perceived slights. One of the best gifts that we can give ourselves is to work through those issues and not leave relationships unreconciled. Of course, I cannot control what other people do, but I can control what I do. Anyway, for Kareem's part, he has now stood at the top of the NBA scoring mountain for 37 years and counting. As of the recording of this episode, LeBron James is less than 2,000 points away from taking over Kareem's spot at the top of the league scoring title. If he stays healthy and averages around 25 points per game, he should break the record in less than a year. Kareem has already said that he is rooting for LeBron to break the record, and he will happily congratulate him when he does. You know, life is too short to hold on to grudges for reasons that are not that important. Hopefully that's a lesson that we can all take away from the story. But that does it for today. That's the story of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Will Chamberlain's very weird relationship. Join us next time when we share two stories in one episode. Both are dunk stories. One story is about Sean Kemp's famous Lister Blister dunk, and the second story is about Vince Carter's Olympic dunk of death. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. 
In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.